Welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast that has the science and the screaming to unequivocally figure out what the best movie is of any given year. This season we're digging into 1975, and this week we're tripping out on Tommy. It's it's a bonus show, guys. There's no points. Everything's just fun. We're all just friends. Ryan, why did we decide to do a pointless show? Oh, Mike, such a good question. Um, we got so jazzed about the year 1975 that we wanted to watch even we wanted to watch all of the movies. Yes, every single 75 movie, all 75 of them. And we did it upright. We fucked up for the first like five bonus shows, but this one is gonna work. Because finally, it's just me and you, baby. Oh, that's not true. What? Okay. I've just gotten a memo that said, uh, the board listened to all 100 episodes of the OCD. You and I are never allowed to do another episode of podcast together. So they sent in, I don't, these names feel vaguely familiar, but we have a Stephanie Rose. Hi, that's me. All right. And we, we have a, a Renee Floyd. From doing bits? Can you see me? Can can you hear me? I could touch you. Can you feel me? Ew. We have our wives. <laughs> I, uh, I, Mike, I remember that magical day where it was uh, my wedding day. I was marrying Renee. You had married Stephanie a month before that. And you just looked at Stephanie and you were like, wait a second. And you switched the girls right before <laughs> the priest Doesn't said you're wrong? married. Yeah. And so now I'm married to Stephanie. And that was a good fucking call, bro. Ooh, yeah. yeah, crisis averted. I, yeah. I honestly think everybody's lives are better because we're married to who we're married to. You guys, you Aww. and Stephanie got your marriage annulled, though, right? No, we're supposed to. You're kind of like uh, my sister nope. wife now, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, I think we should all be married together. <gasps> and have let's just buy a cul-de-sac. A cul-de-sac? A, a cul-de-sac, <laughs> and we all sleep in a different house every night so the ghosts of the people our fathers killed don't get us. <laughs> Well, Winchester style. Uh, people who are not in the studio right now, they can't see Mike's incredible PowerPoint he just pulled out describing <laughs> how all of this works. You've thought about this, haven't you? So much. I honestly have to say that this, what I'm pitching right now, makes more sense than the movie we're talking about this evening. Oh, we Before can agree on that. Before we dig fully into the nitty gritty, uh, starting with Stephanie, what what was your history with Tommy before prepping for this podcast did you have one i think i saw a little snippet of it uh when i was watching i love the 70s on vh1 12 years ago with michael ian black and media gadfly mo rocca that's right <laughs> love i love the 70s yeah i lo- i mean yeah, uh, podcast so idea i love the... i love the 70s <laughs> oh <laughs> there it, it is <laughs> so that is the extent i remember knowing it was about it was a it was a rock opera that was about a deaf, dumb, and blind kid who played pinball. So I did go in knowing a little bit about it. And how many of those words are we still allowed to say? Pinball. But we're not allowed to call people deaf, dumb, or blind, right? Or pinballs. We're just going to call him a pinball. Okay. That's going to be the all encompassing. You think finding a deaf, dumb, and blind kid and saying, hey, you fucking pinball, that's better? <laughs> that's more PC? Yeah. You little well, wizard. Not when, you, not when you say it with that tone. Ah, you yeah. fucking pinball. You can't. You can't New York anybody these days. <laughs> Woke culture. Just being from New York is offensive. <laughs> Isn't it? They're all walking everywhere. Renee, what did you have a history with Tommy? Uh so I would say my only reference my reference point is the album more than the movie. I'd never seen the movie. 
And my only reference point to the album was seeing it in the movie Almost Famous on screen. I have never actually watched it, but I remember seeing the album art and thinking, that's cool album art. I bet I should listen to that. It's like a big blue waffle, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask if it was weird hearing Roger Daltrey sing everybody's lines, but you you don't fucking know. Based on based on the visuals, do you think that'd be weird? What would be weird? Hearing the singer of the Who sing everybody's lines from the album. Does he not? Well, in the movie, he doesn't. Tina Turner sang, and Anne Margaret sang, and oh, that's right, that's right. There were many. Yeah, so I guess that wasn't all the singer of the Who singing everything we watched. That wasn't. Okay, I thought Tina Turner was doing some amazing lip syncing. <laughs> Ryan, what is your history with Tommy? I, my history, it is uh, in my top uh, four Who albums of all time. Very familiar with the album, but had never watched the movie before until just this week. Does Roger sing everything in the album? Well, yeah, him and uh, Pete. Pete. Pete Townsend is the, the brains behind the album. Right, he's music. Roger's Tommy. Yeah, and uh, Roger said, um, cool, cool, good idea. And Pete was okay with this, uh, but why don't I star as the uh, <laughs> as the messiah in this movie? And Pete... He got the locks. Pete's barely in this movie. Keith Moon is in this movie ten times more than Pete or uh, John. Some would argue too much. What? I would say Keith Moon is has the best supporting actor, Moody, in locked in his locker right now. I don't like what a animal from Muppets clear ripoff he's doing. <laughs> Uh, I had seen this. Apparently, the only person I saw this in high school, maybe the first or second time I got drunk, I watched this movie. So I remembered bits and pieces. There was a lot less vomit this time I watched it than the first time I watched it. There's no better way to... Vomiting less? Yeah. Okay. There's no better way to watch a movie than uh, drunk in high school with a bunch of people screaming around you saying, I just fingered someone. (laughs) No. uh, The guy who made us all watch it... uh, His name was Tommy. Rubik's Cubes behind his back was yelling at us to be more into classic rock and yelled at anybody who would... The only person worse than people who say a line in a movie right before it happens is somebody who screams at anybody for talking during a a movie that has no actual line. Was his name Twitter? His name was... Twitter Brenner. Everybody has that friend in high school. He wears (laughs) like... He wears like Led Zeppelin shirts (laughs) and his hair is very long. And and unwashed. Yeah, he he puts deodorant on the shirt. And that's as much deodorant as he will use for the entire high school year. And he has never seen a girl naked. (laughs) To this day. We, I unfortunately, are going to take a break. And when we come back, dive right in to Tommy. Based on the Who's 1969 rock opera, the same name, Tommy takes the story of a mute, blind, deaf pinball prodigy come religious leader as seen through the eyes of the controversial and iconoclastic satirical director Ken Russell. Starring the Who's lead singer Roger Daltrey as Tommy and Margaret and Oliver Reed as his less-than-ideal mom and stepdad with cameos by Eric Clapton, Tina Turner, Elton John, and Jack Nicholson, Tommy takes on religion, commercialization, celebrity, pinball, parenting, and more. Taste buds, I ask you this. Tommy is not shy about its use of iconography, Religious, pop culture, and otherwise. What's the movie's main goal with this, and is it successful? Renee? Ooh, what's its main goal? I think the main goal is... I I mean, I wasn't alive in the 70s, but I feel like there was a big wave of 
Satan and Christ being at odds even more than in their history. And it was all about, you know, what uh, what are you doing to get closer to God? And is it a cult or is it a church? Uh, was there satanic iconography in Tommy? N- no, but by omission, yes. The greatest trick the devil pulled was not joining Tommy? Yeah, yeah, that's actually how the saying is. Uh, no, my so my impression as someone who did not live through this era and has only looked back at it is that there was a lot of fixation on religious, you know, Christian iconography, cults, and being a part of a cult, and it just fits into that milieu, milieu. as they say. Yeah, it seemed to be very highly critical of religion in general, um, <laughs> but definitely relying on, like, Judeo-religious tropes to sort of tell the story. I mean, it opens in a very, like, Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. And, like, there's a lot of little moments like that throughout the movie, especially, like, with uh, Tommy and, you know, the images of him and his trajectory as sort of the sacrificial lamb. And so it, it heavily relies on religion while critiquing it, while working through their own religious issues as artists. What do we think it actually is saying? Because by the time it ends, Tommy has fully become a Christ, a hang gliding Christ figure, but then also falls down. Like he is not our Messiah is pretty shitty. Which was absolutely my favorite toy growing up. Uh, Jesus with hang glide. Yeah, like there seems to be. I couldn't believe Judas betrayed him. Once we knew he hang glided. (laughs) The Judas, bro. What do you want me to do? Jet ski? I'm fucking crushing it out here. Well, there was definitely a lot of criticism of like. I don't know, materialism within religion and like hawking right. all these products and the camp. By by the end when they're selling all the stuff and that's what leads to the riot at the end of the movie is that they're like, buy Tommy the album. Buy Tommy the sunglasses. I, buy Tommy the movie of Tommy. But that, I mean, that is sort of interesting that you would start with that is that like that's where the weird, I don't know, where it all crosses over and gets a little crazy is that they were using their experience as rock gods you know right. so like uh, the, everyone thinks that church is stupid right unless you're a fucking moron you think that church is stupid and religion it's is mormon. stupid right. <laughs> unless you're a mormon <laughs> um but then they were also going through that same thing of like man these fans like they really like us you know and they sort of like put us up there as as well and so there's a, a dual commentary going on there as what it's like to be a rock god or pinball wizard and also the uh, idolatry and the just like the blind, you know, following of churches. I the first like real church we see, like the first hint of church we see is them on Christmas morning freaking out that the kid they forced to be blind, mute, and deaf uh, can't be saved because he will, doesn't know what praying or who Jesus is. Uh, which is not my Bible, friends. Uh-huh. Uh, but the first actual church, your we Bible see just is, says no Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> No, comma, Jesus, and Jesus is just a scamp throughout it. Uh, it's the the Church of Marilyn Monroe, and Eric Clapton's like, everybody worship this ugly statue of Marilyn. The biggest insult to Marilyn Monroe is how gross that statue is. Oh, yeah, which is why I'm happy that someone ended up shoving it over, and I got to watch it shatter yeah, on screen. It's always the blind kid, though. The fucking blind yeah. kid always shoves the statue over. <laughs> but how but is, you know what, like, our idolatry of pop stars and pop icons any different than like jesus just been around longer 
And I think that it goes, uh, I mean, like, it could have been Elvis, right? It could have been Mickey Mouse. But I do think that the selection of Marilyn Monroe is kind of perfect because Marilyn is sort of, like, Marilyn, what Marilyn made popular is that there doesn't have to be a mother and a whore. Or a whore, you know, like... Mommy is a whore? Sort of, yeah. Like, Marilyn was sort of neither, but almost both, you know? Like, she wasn't either one, but she made you think of both. And that's sort of, like, so now we can all focus it there. And I do think that's where Anne margaret comes in, too, is that... Right. She she doesn't cross those lines either. I think that Marilyn, it was important for it to be Marilyn, mm. as ugly as that statue was. My mom thought, my Christian... God-fearing mother thinks Marilyn Monroe is the biggest whore of all time. Okay, well, well, your mom's wrong. Marilyn Monroe rules. No, no, I know that, but I think within Christian sort of like lore, she's she's a bad. She apple. did not know that subway was going to go under the track right when she was standing over it. That's not her fault. <laughs> <laughs> and it, I was going to talk about Mary Magdalene and the Christians are like that's fine, but no other whores are fine. Look, one is or they all are. But I mean, that's uh, sort of the and, thing in religion and in movies is that mm-hmm. you can't you can't be complicated if you're a female character. Like you really do have to be one or the other, or we don't know what to do with you. Do we think this movie actually has anything to say about religion or cults or celebrity worship, Renee? So I was I've been thinking about how the theme. There are more than there's more than one theme in this movie. I think the most overt one is definitely the Christian religious theme you know obviously the the messiah and jesus figure uh in roger daltrey but um there's also like hamlet vibes with like the dad being Mm. killed and then like the uncle taking the role of the dad like we call the we call his stepdad uncle frank or like the movie calls him that you know the mom calls him that and so he kind of fills that uncle role so they've got like this hamlet thing they've got like the kind of greek tragedy of like flying too close to the sun where he's like i'm jesus and i'm paragliding and now i'm now i'm flying too close to the sun and oh you know I'm in ruins now and look at my trajectory. So like, I feel like honestly, when they were, when they were conceptualizing this movie, they went, you know what? Jesus shit. Cool. Keep it on the board. Uh, Greek tragedy. Yeah. Let's do it. Like plays everything. Like they just wanted to throw every like tragic theme. It feels like people believe stuff, right? Dumb. (laughs) Yeah. Commentary. I totally agree. And like, I think that's fine. I mean, for the purposes of the segment, this particular question that you asked, Mike, I do think that it is a little all over the place, but it really is just to support a string of uh, music videos, right? Well, and yeah, so, we, we... but like, I do think that it it is okay, and I do think it's a little tired. Their argument is a ti- is tired, and I do think it's exactly what you said. What you said, Mike, is if you believe in something, then you're dumb, which I also agree with. But I do think there's a couple of inspired moments, and one I want to point out is that. When you go to the cult of Tommy at the end, mm-hmm. you have to put uh, blinders, earmuffs, and a cork in your mouth on. Uh-huh. And I like that double meaning of one, in order to be fully religious, you have to do the exact same, you have to live the exact same life of the person that you're following, which is right. an insane thing that religions do. But also, if you're going to be part of the cult, we need you to stop looking, stop listening, and stop talking. You right. know, and they like, there are some okay. moments where it was like... Think about that part. That's a good point. But Fuck all, you. All, all under the guise of like, let's see if he can play pinball. You know, like there are some moments where they, uh, the, the, the 
too many ideas and yeah. an actual good idea do come together. You know, I love that. I love that. Like, look, your Messiah doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. Like he is, he lost his hearing and his sight and his ability to speak because of a trauma. Cause he's a little bitch. Like, and all of these, like Mike is, by the way, Mike is the guy in the bathroom, the cousin in the bathroom that Steve Martin, from I'm little cousin top of Kevin. Yeah. I'm the schoolyard bully. <laughs> Sorry. Keep going. 70. Well, no, I just like the idea that like, this Messiah really doesn't like you. You end up looking like an idiot and not learning a thing because the reasons why he he went through that experience you can't recreate by putting a cork in your mouth. And Tommy doesn't think that. Tommy's a little bit of Humper Dumper Do. He is a little bit of Humper Dumper Do from preacher. from the preacher comics. But the people that are so, like uh, I don't know his support system, his Jamie Spears, um, they don't give a shit that like. Uh, Tommy is, you know, genuine. They're like, no, let's put fucking blinders and earmuffs and a cork in their mouth because that is going to be the best way to get them well, to spend money. And that that's that I think the most complex nuanced critique of religion is the top, the head has good intentions, yeah. and right below starts twisting those. And but at that point, the, by the time we got there, there was too much batshit thrown at the wall that I was like, I think this was an accident. I don't know if there's like real thought behind any of the critiques because it just seems like isn't everything dumb? I'm awesome. I'm out. Yeah, and like I just like you're like there's there's too many cooks in this movie's kitchen, so you do have to sort of look for where you know they're mm-hmm. not just doing that thing. It, it feels very similar to we we recently covered Monty Python and the Holy Grail, and a lot of the critiques on that from others was. Uh, it's a string of ideas, too many cooks, but it's sketches. And this is a sketch show movie, but with music. But yeah, I mean, it's a Broadway musical. This is the most Broadway musical movie I've ever seen. Uh, most Broadway musicals that come to movies, they like try to make the go from song to song make sense. And this movie does not give a shit about it. Doesn't matter. Like, I think that's for a different time. That's for a different segment for sure. We're going to take a quick break, drink some water. Put our mouth holes, ear holes, and eye holes on. And when we come back, more Tommy. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for listening so far. And let me just tell you that everything ahead of this commercial is much better than what came before it. That's my guarantee. While I have you here, let me tell you about a website. It's called yourpopfilter.com. And it's everything you need that's related to Pop Filter. Everything Mike, everything Ryan, everything Greg, everything Cassie. Everything is there at yourpopfilter.com. While you're there, go to yourpopfilter.com slash Amazon. Make that your new Amazon bookmark and do your shopping from there. That way, we get a little piece of the action and Amazon doesn't. Make sure you're also listening to everything that Pop Filter has to offer, which includes the Superhero Show Show, a podcast that covers every single TV show that's based on a comic book or comic book property, and Movie of the Year where we sit down and try and figure out what is the single greatest movie of any given year. That's Superhero Show Show. That's Movie of the Year. And that's YourPopFilter.com. Rate, subscribe, review. Bye! A movie like Tommy. Oh, good. Uh, just is Everybody at home, Mike's legs are crossed. He just puts his glasses up. This is going to be a good question. That is to say, musicals, adaptations, general camp can sometimes be a little uneven. Which musical segments or performances seem to understand the world they're in the most 
And which ones get lost in the chaos? Stephanie? Write to me. The slowest brained of the four of us. Um, I liked the bean scene. (laughs) (laughs) We got to talk about the bean scene. That bitch fell in beans. I've just been waiting to talk about the bean scene. Turmoil of the... Who who's really the main character? I don't think it's Tommy. I think it's Tommy's mom. And Margaret. And Margaret. And I think her her, you know, her ecstasy and her, you know, agony was so poignant <laughs> in that bean scene. Where she- I mean, if you just replace the T with an M, the movie's called Mommy. So I see that. I, oh, I feel like they they God. wrote that that intentionally. Renee, can you describe in the greatest of detail the and I quote, bean scene. Okay, so check it. We're in this all white, beautiful, like penthouse because, of course, Tommy's mom has gotten filthy rich and his uncle Frank have gotten filthy rich off of his pinball game. <laughs> Apparently, there's money in that industry. We didn't know that before this movie. Quarters. Oh, because they take all the quarters, of course. So she's, you know, living a life of luxury uh, until sh- her, you know, f- beautiful, fantastical all white pristine penthouse is rudely interrupted by an introduction of soap bubbles followed by uh, kidney beans baked beans baked, baked beans. beans fit for a queen baked beans like the- heinz baked beans yeah, those it was, british this was, this people love their beans. heinz baked beans it's, it's uh, impossible then- to say how much brits are into fucking baked beans yeah they put them in on everything including breakfast. scenes of movies Bre- yeah, they eat them for breakfast with I like mother tomatoes. Yeah, they put them, <laughs> they put them on their mothers. <laughs> uh, and then also there's okay, I I wrote down chocolate, but could it have been poop? It was it, it was the three commercials. So she kept trying to watch commercials because based on my erection, it was poop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Tommy kept using his blind mute deaf powers to turn the channels back to him winning the pinball wizard game. And she was like, I just want to be a ditzy mom right now. I do not want to think about my son. I cannot see. I cannot hear. And I cannot feel. I cannot hear. And so all of it shot out of the fucking TV at her. That's right. That Yeah. Everything emanates oh. from the television. It was WandaVision before WandaVision. <laughs> and she just. So, of course, all of this stuff is flooding into the into this penthouse, this beautiful white penthouse that is now covered in like brown and red liquid. The soap did nothing. No. I wouldn't buy the soap. It should have say. ended with the soap. Well, it got scrubbed that place back to shape. The first thing was champagne, right? Was the soap supposed to look like champagne? I thought it was. Oh, maybe I thought it was soap, but it could have been champagne bubbles. Oh yeah, just some kind of bubbles. I think they yeah. used soap, but it was supposed to be champagne. But once, <laughs> what what she found out when she tried to drink it. Yeah, once the once your bedroom is it looks like that, then you grab the giant, the biggest penis pillow you can find, <laughs> yeah. and you ride it to heaven. Until your uncle Frank husband comes in and is furious, even though he was in his sailor suit with a bunch of yachty hotties oh every time that guy leaves the room he comes back as a different like higher tier uh british stereotype uh so are we arguing then going back to who introduced stephanie that and margaret and that scene definitely get what this music is trying to be i think this entire thing is just the height of too muchery (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the height of too muchery. And I love that. This be the movie of the year. Which I think is line? the point, right? Even more than like, let's say something about religion. It's more like, 
let's see who can be the height of too much. Yeah, and that in this pristine room when she's like writhing on that body pillow and the sexual tension between the mother and the son and just all of it working together to create this scene that was just like, all right, I think it was the height of the Tommy too muchery. <laughs> I imagine it like there was a, instead of it being a film, it's like a sports event and there's like a director in the van with all the screens and they're like, all right, the scene isn't working. Turn on the beans. And he just flips the <laughs> switch and now the beans come in. Yeah. yeah, what if they didn't even tell her what was about to happen? They're like, just you're just going to hang out in this room. You're going to do this scene where that you're like trying to watch reaction. TV. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just what? How do the beans make you feel? I did. Her her husband and Margaret's husband was furious and tried to say this scene cannot happen, and the whole set went, "Why are you here? No, <laughs> dude, this scene makes the movie." But well, he, he was British, so they threw some baked beans over in the corner, and he was like, "Ooh," and he <laughs> ran over that. But it also contained my absolute favorite like moment of the entire movie is when Tommy goes through the looking glass when he goes through that mirror and the shattered mm. like they, they I think they use glitter to represent the shards of glass that like fell with him into the water. I thought that was just a beautiful scene. It it was beautiful. <laughs> but isn't it weird that the movie's saying, like, one kind of violence you can ignore, but another kind of violence will push you into enlightenment? But, but yeah, Say, but, it's, but it's also, like... His whole life like, was violent, and, but this... Because it, it's mommy violence, now he's enlightened. But, it, I mean, like, I think that goes back to, Mike, the first question that you asked of, like, the movie is sort of saying, if you can't join them, beat them. You know, so like if you can't be part of that society, then create a new society. And so that's what they're doing is just one upping each other on all of that stuff. I it's- got narcissism out of it because the only but, time yeah, Tommy yeah. ever reacted is when he was staring at his own reflection. So and, when and, he went through Margaret, that, who he is, came back. And Margaret is like, she's super partial to her own reflection. And part of the right. reason why she's so mad at her son is like, stop looking at you. You should be looking at me. Is because you're not saying he's a narcissist, are you? Because he he is the only person who hasn't hurt him, right? No, no, no. I'm saying about uh, the there's some commentary about our messiahs and mm. the way they engage with their own image and the way they sell their own image and the only way he right. he ever reacts when he's in that fugue state is when he's staring at himself. Mm. So there is a kind of like self idolatry there, which is you know important if you're going to be a messiah. But how much of his like the his his messiah his path to messiahdom was not even really laid by him? It was laid by his parents, yeah. Who like he had practically no agency for like more than half of the movie, and he's just being like, you know pushed around to these different places and scenes and people and healers and things like that. And then his parents are the ones pushing him and then profiting off of his image, basically, and his, like, persona. That's a good point. He just wanted to open up a camp. Yeah. (laughs) He just wanted to have a fun summer camp. Yeah, I think he just wanted to play pinball in a junkyard. (laughs) And then Uncle Frank was like, hey, give me that dog. Yeah. All right. Yeah, this kid's good at pinball. We're going to make millions. Yeah, it's the parents that monetize his whole thing. But I think, He's just like, which is what I like God flicking. was doing to Jesus. But yeah, no, like, <laughs> that, that was a joke, Mike. Ha ha ha, good one. But I do think that's part of it is that that's where the rock star part comes in is that we don't know what happened with Jesus between the ages of like 12 and 12 and 30. 12 and 30. 
And what probably happened is the same thing that is going on with Britney Spears right now, which was going on with the Who, is just, you know, you're pushed around and you're told what to do. Like, that's messiahs are not born and then are in charge of their lives. They are created by terrible, terrible people who are only out, like, they're not out to, like, change people's lives. So while thousands of teenagers were singing along to the Who songs, it was the Who themselves who were trapped in that teenage wasteland yes and that is why this movie is so crazy is because they are trying to make fun of it but also be it stuck in it at the same time what was the name of that little girl who loved sally stringer sally frankenstein's wife yeah Yeah, frankenstein and that commodification of love for some like the the artist and the music it that whole thing and we're we're way off the deep end of where we started, but that whole thing is is Tommy supposed to be also like a twelve year old even when he's Robert Daughtry? Because or is she a child bride and the movie's just fine with it? Based on the movie, it would also be fine with it. Well, no, and I mean like we know now that the bands of the sixties, of which the Who was, you know, this is seventy five, but the bands of the sixties had just no problem with somebody. Olds. Yeah, like somebody who looked like Sally Simpson was not a big deal to them until she got a scar down her face. Then go marry. Frankenstein, you bitch. Well, he has scars. She has scars. It all makes sense. Sure. Uh, I do want to, like, if, if we're talking about uh, musical moments, I do want to talk about Tina Turner uh, as someone who just came into this movie and was like, I'm sorry, what? I'm sorry, what? All right. And then just owned her six minutes. Mm-hmm. And Renee, you had thoughts about Tina Turner, right? Oh, I had. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> Oof. The acid queen indeed. I feel like that should have become her permanent moniker after this movie because that like if you asked me before this movie like what I pictured when you said acid queen, it would I'd probably land on something around Tina Turner. She just like had the frenzy and the franticness and the energy of like what that whole scene was trying to symbolize and I felt like I was tripping balls just like watching her like lash out frilly fringed dress oh yeah she just like knew how to move her body to the music so well and of course like the singing it was you know one of the sole instances of good singing in the movie in my opinion well i was like besides jack nicholson but yeah oh jack nicholson was (laughs) abysmal why did they have him sing but yeah sorry renee oh we we don't want to start talking about who's a bad singer in this movie because That'll take Jack Nicholson really didn't stand out that much. But yeah, I mean, like, maybe maybe this director was so good that, like, they talked to Tina Turner about the movie, or no. the energies were just so on line, where she, was, she came in and she just rocked the house. Tina crushed as she does. My two issues with that scene are, I cannot remember the song for the life of me. It's one of the least, like, memorable songs, even though she's amazing at singing. And the, if we're talking about iconography, the syringes and the syringed iron maiden not how you do acid all of that was like the lamest fucking the lamest symbolism in the movie was that shit okay that was weird because he goes in and out of it so many times like it closes and opens and closes and opens well i think that's how they were showing sex oh but also something different though like think about something else where like it closes and then opens and then every time you hit it and you hit Elevator. it again, and it closes and opens, and then you hit it again. Pinball. It's pinball. That whole scene is sex as pinball. Yeah, it's dumb. <laughs> yeah, of all of the... um, like, I just can't believe the... I mean, they were big stars for their time. 
and nobody did more with their screen time than Tina Turner. God damn, Not man. Even Elton? Well, Elton, yeah. I, if we're talking about Ryan people who got the movie. audibly laughed when Elton came on the screen. Dude, he, well, he, 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 he looks controlled like his pinball with a piano. With a piano. That's See, fucking I thought he was awesome. losing. I thought he was losing because he wouldn't just play pinball. He's just playing the little keyboard the whole time. That's <laughs> like, focus, Elton. I thought he was the only person who, in his face, went, this movie's dumb, right? And I went, yeah, Elton, let's do this. The only one I found terribly boring, and not because he's like anti-mask, anti-vax, uh, was Eric Clapton. Like He just stood there and... He did not... He was like, should I be really serious because this is a serious movie from front to back? <laughs> <laughs> well, just like the way when, I wipe. When they put <laughs> athletes in sitcoms and they're just terrible and yeah. you can just tell they're not a performer. That's what it felt like. Like He's just not an actor. And it, the song was not good. The song was not memorable. The 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 whole that whole set piece. He's he's the leader of the Maryland Monroe Church. Was like we fucking get it. Like it was ham fisted. I'm not saying he would crush in a different role, but it was a shitty part of the movie. It's just Mike when he was playing. What I wanted to do was uh, slam my hands together so hard that it was the force of two thousand pounds. But I could not clap ton. I could not clap ton at all. We're gonna take a break and I'll Awful. dwell on that. And when we wow. come back, more Thomas. Hola, Felterinos. I just wanted to interrupt real briefly and say thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. If you want to support us a little more directly, you can go to patreon.com slash your pop filter. There, depending on what tier you pick, $1 a month, $5 a month. If you're crazy, anything more than $5 a month, don't do that. You can get extra content. There's extra shows, extra series, uh, behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, you could pay for Ryan to draw you a picture. Uh, I can write you a poem. You can get the shirts off our very own backs. All of that and so much more over at patreon.com slash filter. While you're on the internet, you should check out Shady Monk. He does all the tunes you've been listening to. He's on Bandcamp. He's on Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, wherever kids get their music these days that I'm too old to know. Shady Monk lives there. Uh, You can probably follow him on Twitter and Instagram as well. That's Shady Monk. Wherever you get music, check him out. Beneath the rock opera-ness, the rock and roll Jesus-ness, and the pinball is a story about a mother and a son. How much does the Who, or Director Russell, or the audience care about this relationship between Anne Margaret and Roger Daltrey's characters? Ryan? I think it... <laughs> okay, so based on watching the movie, which is what, Mike, you said that I have to do, right? In order to be on you the have, show? There's one requirement. Just watch the GD movie. I think it accidentally did become Anne Margaret's story. And I think it did become, what is it like to be Mary? You know? I... Uh, your original dad is dead, or God, whatever. Uh, you're going to pick this Joseph, this camp guy, who's going to wear a green jacket around, and then you're going to watch the Messiah. This green jacket wear. You're going to watch the Messiah become the Messiah, and then also, do you have a personality as well? And I, I, I do think that like this is sort of where the movie succeeds the most in saying, uh, did I fuck up as a mom? Like, yes. D- am I a bad mom if I don't pay attention? Like, yes. am I a bad well, mom? Yes. No matter what, if you don't pay attention to your kid, you're a bad mom. So she's. Do you guys think that she's just like an all around bad mom? Yes. You can watch in the. Do you think it's all right if our Nazi rubber fetishist fucking rapist friends and uncles take care of her kid? Her care less and less and less. Well, right away, 
Uh, my new husband killed my old husband. So, therefore... And- Time out. I want to talk about that. Based on the text alone, uh-huh. and the text being the film, uh, Stephanie or Renee, do we think Frank killed the war husband? I don't think even the director knows. I don't think anyone knows. I don't think this was a certain thing. I think it was in- left intentionally or unintentionally ambiguous. Because it... like. There's absolutely no consequence in the plot of the movie for like them committing a murder. It's just like a thing, like a flash, a moment that we see, and we're like, "Well, that that seems fucking bad." Because it it could have been this kid saw them fuck and they freaked out, and so the whole movie seemed like that of sex is bad if a kid sees it. I think it was very much from the perspective of little Tommy. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's like he hit him with the lamp, and that's all Tommy saw. But he clearly murdered the guy. Well, is no, I'm saying, is the guy real? Or did Tommy, little Tommy said, mommy's fucking this new guy, so that kills daddy. Right. Cause- yeah, like, like seeing the death of his father in the image of sex, of right. his mother having because sex with someone else. Because nothing else says the murder happened. And, that, and burnt-faced dad shows up throughout the movie. So who knows when he's there and when he's not But when he appears before he is murdered in Tommy's room, it's still ghost-like. You know, like, he's still, like, in, like, in the doorway, but totally blacked out. So it does seem like a child dream. Yeah. But it's just a very different movie. Like, I, I took that scene literally just the way I took it. It's a very different movie if he was just seeing his stepdad fuck his mom. Yeah. But, I and mean, that's if, what if, made him like not speak, and that's why his because the way his well, parents reacted, the way his that's how some parents react. Like, you didn't see anything. <laughs> well, I mean the same thing. So if 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 it's this is my problem with the Bible in general, uh, or in most religious texts, because people who believe it are like, well, some of it's real, or take some of it seriously. Uh, so if all of it's literal, then he did get stabbed by a bajillion syringes of acid. No, that I, I didn't say it's all literal. I said I took that. No, literal. no, no. Like and, and plus seems, that was in a it like it moment. happened because uh, it's such a traumatic event. Like sex, I know it's the idea of your mother having sex is a very uncomfortable thing for most of us. For a four-year-old, sure. But no, I want my mom to. Get but it. it's it's a it is a natural thing. That's how he got here. Watching your father get murdered is the unnatural traumatic event that sparks. But how his... does he know he's his father? Because he has a picture of him. And also, he he remembers my favorite moment in the movie where uh, the dad flies away to war. And uh-huh. gives a nod <laughs> to a house, and inside the house, the wife is like, "Yeah, what's up?" And they both nod at each other. And for some reason, the super rich wife then goes and works at a ball bearings factory. Because those look sucks, like little guys. pinballs. I don't know. I see oh, what you're saying, Mike, pinballs. but uh, I, I would say that the Tina Turner part, or like any time that like there's a full on song going on, is different than there's just music and people slightly singing. Uh, okay, so the rubber fetishist rapist is real. <laughs> um, okay. The the Keith Moon. Uh huh. He's the the fritter in her way, and he has a a jacket covered in rubber items. And then the movie clearly says, "Isn't it hilarious?" Because him and cousin Kenny are super campy and super big, and isn't it hilarious that they are fucking up Tommy? 
I I don't know. I think that I that's why I do go back to the fact that like this is the most Broadway movie of all time because this is all acceptable on stage. Is it? I've seen a lot of Broadway plays on stage and in movies. Oh, I think for sure. Like when you look at the movie Chicago, and they all like they had to make like. Every song is like uh, somebody's imagination or, you know, like Mm -hmm. there's not that here. And I think that's why it is holding you at arm's length. But there's morality in Chicago and this movie that seemingly wants to talk about morality. There is none. That's true. But I, I do think that ultimately what it comes down to is the wacky songs with wacky stuff. Like that's what we're all about right now. So we actually do not care about what the story is, or if the plot Renee, is that bunk. Well, who who we who's caring? Who doesn't care? If you're watching a Broadway show, then you just watch stuff. Like they will go on tangents. They'll have random songs. It doesn't matter. The storyline does not need to make sense. Right, because they're there to support the music. Right. More is that that's what you think? Well, yeah. I, I don't think that applies to this movie because the music that was being supported wasn't good. Like, they had actors who couldn't sing and singers who couldn't act. They did not bring an A-team to this, even though it seems like they did. Like, okay, Tina Turner, A-team. Elton John, like, I would even say B-team. No, he That's crushed That's an A-team. He, Come he on, crushed it dude. because he was wearing 400-pound shoes, but he really wasn't able to do a lot because he was wearing four hundred pound I feel shoes. Like he he was like the movie more than anybody he was like else. stifled in those shoes. He was like trying to like you He's know like props. S- like snap his foot to the beat and like that's like <laughs> all, that's the only move he could do was like I'm slightly lifting my very heavy foot to the music. Um, like he did a lot with his his face and obviously his his singing was was good. But overall, it was like why does everyone suck at singing that isn't a professional singer? Why why couldn't they get professional singers who who do you who, think sucked yeah. at singing the mom all of the, her no, i think the mom was great i hated her i hated her so much i thought that the stepdad was bad but he was also normally there so every musical has a shibupi type in music man uh little buddy hackett sings shibupi and it's like the funny guy gets to sing now uh tommy's downfall is having that guy sing throughout the whole goddamn movie and that is which one uh, Uncle Frank. Oh yeah, so that's Keith Moon. That no, that is cousin Eddie, or Uncle Eddie. There's cousin. We'll draw cousin you a family Uncle tree. <laughs> it's yeah. confusing. I assume all the dirtbags are related to Uncle Frank. Okay, we have to take a break, but when we come back, it's award season. <laughs> well, that is very very funny or very sad, and perhaps now you have something to think about, or very problematic, and perhaps we have something to think about. But in any event, I'm sure you have some reaction to what you're listening to. So why not check us out on the social media? You can go to Instagram or Twitter and find us at Your Pop Filter. Email contacts at Your Pop Filter. Hey, everybody. Keep watching them movies. That is all the time we have to talk about Tommy, or as we like to call it around these parts, Mommy. It is award season. Can you guys believe that this was nominated for a Academy Award? I'm so stoked to hear that, Mike. Was it best actor? It was not best actor. Renee, what do you think? Was it nominated for worst singer? No, that's not an Academy Award. Oh. That's a raspberry. Best, Best supporting actress. For the mom? For the mom. 
Oh, well, good for her. So we're going to give it even more awards tonight. Starting with cringe. Biggest cringe of the movie, Renee. Oh, well, it's definitely soap, beans, and chocolate, or soap, beans, and poop. Whatever whatever that was, we know there were beans. Like, we're that pretty sure cringe? there were beans. That made me cringe. Well, yeah, of course. Like, what an unnatural occurrence for <laughs> beans to fly out of the television and ruin her white carpet. I cringed thinking about the cleaning costs. That Somebody's never had diarrhea. Into... <laughs> that scene taught me I'm into food play. <laughs> Ryan, what is your biggest cringe? Uh, my biggest cringe is when young Tommy is yeah. crying to his mom about how his dad is dead and he misses his dead dad. He never even met his dead dad. Uncle fucking Camp Comb stands outside of the room and combs his hair. There is no slick way to comb your hair, <laughs> but there's a certain type of person who does it only when they're hearing the worst shit possible. Yes. And that's who Uncle Frank. Not it's like Bernie's Happy Holiday Camp. Halfway through the song, he says, "And I'm Frank." I'm like, "Who the fuck is Bernie?" Then <laughs> Stephanie. I mean, it's the bean scene, right? When she's writhing on the pillow, yep. it's I bean scene, one hundred percent. Is it cringe when your blood goes right down to your nethers? <laughs> yes, it's just it's, it's cringe when you say that. <laughs> she's the mother. Yeah, I want to change my cringiest moment. <laughs> hey, mom's also too. Special mention is when Tommy starts throwing all her shit into the ocean. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, like, honestly didn't know how much jewelry she had. So she, he was like, all right. I'm and tired. this ring and this ring. Yeah, and this ring. it was one ring at a time. Just flung it into the ocean. Yeah, he was opering the ocean. Mm. You get a ring. <laughs> my, get cringiest, a- <laughs> my cringiest moment is Keith Moon. The first time we meet him, uh, he opens his trench coat and it's covered in rubber. And I went, oh, he's going to diddle this kid, man. And then he did. And the movie went, isn't that hilarious? That was my fucking cringiest moment. Pound for pound performance. Stephanie. It's got to go to Tina Turner. She just, she had very little screen time. And I think she did the most with what she had. And she just electrified, I don't know, the entire movie. And injected it with a healthy dose of acid. There's a part of me that wants to believe that, like, she was not even hired. She just, <laughs> she like, just showed she, up. Yeah, like, after a concert, she just ran in. <laughs> like, Tina, we're making a movie. She's Whoa. like, I don't care. Get me in here. <laughs> I got some shit to say. <laughs> JR? Uh, so, I might have a different interpretation of this award and the criteria for it, but mine goes to Uncle Frank because he looked like. Like, okay, a lot of the actors look like this in many, in most of the movie, but he really looked like he was about to pass out at like any minute just from the strain of his character. Every ounce of effort of acting. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, in that sense, like, man, he tried so hard and somehow didn't like have a stroke or die from (laughs) filming this. He just always looked like really like angry and like intense. And I was just impressed that he was able to sustain that through the whole movie. Yeah, he looks... Like he looks like he has clogged arteries. Oh yeah, you can watch them clogging in real time. He looks like a clogged artery. Is it? Don't you guys think it's a bummer though? Like the legend of Keith Moon is so big, and then you see him at this movie, and he's like, "Oh wait, you're five three, and you are losing hair already." Like and Roger Daltrey was only five six. All these short boys. All these short boys. Ryan, 
It P-P-P. has to go to the person who is Anne. Hold on. What? I need a last name? Fuck you. How about this? Dash first name. second first name. It's Anne Margaret. That is mine as well. Absolutely crushes the entire movie. She she does. Uh, when she sings while putting on lipstick, uh-huh. and you, you really know because then it is purposefully like, <laughs> yeah, See, which is I, the exact same way that I put on lipstick normally. I think I she's actually why, the main character. I don't get why singing like that is impressive though. I can also sing mumbled. I'm Shannon Fred. But then can you sing good right after? She never did. She so did. why should I? That's I agree with you so much about this movie. We we did not like it, but you're fucking batshit if you think she's not a good singer. She, I didn't I did not appreciate well her well vocal instrument. Also, if Mike, if your name was Mike Dash Gravania, then you I might be like you might Mike win the Dash award. George. Mike Dash George. But she's Anne Dash Margaret and she gets Gravania the award. is nobody's first name, hopefully. <laughs> All right. Final award, director's signature moment. Renee, I don't know. Like this, the silver, like knight-looking Iron Maiden thing that was it, part of the Tina Turner like Acid Queen scene, where it was just like too long and didn't mean anything, and it was just like a lot of set design that was like kind of kind of goofy and looked a little bit cheap, and it, it just kept happening over and over. Probably that. This was a good movie. I uh, for most directors with this award, Mike, you can back me up. Uh, it is what we think sort of secretly gives them an erection, but Ken right. Russell leaves it all out there. It's like, we, we know. know exactly what gives you an erection, Ken Russell. Beans. <laughs> Beans. Ryan, what is your director's signature moment? I, Mike, as we're recording this, I'm prepping for a different show, and I have to go with mirrors. I think that his whole thing of, hey, what is that, a mirror? Hey, what is that? Is that like cinematic? How like... You can see your reflection, but it's the opposite of you. And that maybe sometimes you can dive through it, as Stephanie said earlier. This guy loves fucking mirrors. And why wouldn't mm. you, right? Who doesn't want to fuck a mirror? Let's reflect. <laughs> Stephanie? Access. <laughs> How far would a reasonable person, a reasonable director go with the scene? This guy is going to go further. Do you have a specific example that covers that? Uh, I mean, I keep I keep hitting the bean scene really hard. <laughs> the bean scene, but uh, the camp scene. Mm-hmm. It's it's just a wild zoo. It's just a zoo. Uh, the cult scenes were just like brimming with like how many extras do you need? All of the extras in <laughs> in the United Kingdom. Let's get all of them in here. Uh, yeah, yeah every... and do you want them all to act like clowns as well, so that it's just co- constantly unnerving to see the to see people like marching in place as as like the gates to the camp opens, and you're just like, why are these people standing there like marching as people drive in a school bus into this freaking camp in that the middle of nowhere? Does just feel like musical. Yes, yes, Elton John's boots. Let's make them ridiculous. Like, just it's whatever a normal person would do. This director is going to go a little bit further. My, mine was a quick moment being because the more I learned about Ken Russell, the more like he's like this very like I want to piss everybody off. I and he he aha's take on me video. People say like that ripped off from him. MTV's uh, logo ripped off. Like it's very like this fantastical pushing into the surreal early on. 
for no reason, but it's letting you know what you're getting into. There's just a bunch of gals in lingerie and tutus sprinting by with a gas mask. Gas mask, yes. That's this guy. That's He's just uh, like, this is going to bug somebody. I'm doing it. But this predates like MTV music video. But it's still, it's still so like Warhol, though. Like, it's so like, oh, I bet this is going to get somebody's up in their guts. All right. The last non-award award is recommendation. Ryan? I If you like this, which is sort of like disjointed awesomeness with nothing connecting it, may I recommend to you Garbage Pail Kids, the card <laughs> series. You put, you fucking get a fucking handful of Garbage Pail Kid like cards in your hand. And you're like flipping through it. And you're like, oh, it's Snotty Scotty. Oh, shit. It's, Do you think it's all right? <laughs> It's, Scotty, Scotty. it's Mike Bike, and all of a sudden it's your friend Mike, but now he's a bike. And oh, it's uh, Renee Brulee, and now Renee is a Tasty. fucking coasted, toasted custard that you might eat for dinner. Garbageville Kids is my recommendation. That sounds like Ryan didn't like this movie. Renee, <laughs> what's your recommendation? My recommendation, if you like this movie and want something similar, is to buy a plane ticket to Amsterdam. Go there, get way too wasted, and then the next day, like 9 a.m., go to a torture museum and be in there and then like throw up in like a like uh like a tube that they put like a barrel that they put people in and stuff them in. Just do that. At this point, you guys don't think that you were Boy, a little that's harsh. A, towards that's a the lot movie? of work. My- Mine is Razia's Shadow, which is a punk rock rock opera by Forgive Durden was like a punk punk band of the 2010s. And then everybody else quit because the singer went nuts and went, we're making a musical. And all the guest singers are like guys from Portugal, The Man and The Matches and Panic at the Disco. And he wrote this crazy epic Messiah-like musical. It's a lot of fun, but also super dorky. It feels like a legit recommendation. I, I thought of one. I didn't know we were all fucking fun and had <laughs> fake recommendations. I have a legit Stephanie? one. I think if you like Tommy, then you should check out uh, Help or Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Cup Band because it's or, or Yellow Submarine because it's the same shit. <laughs> no, and that's that. Those. Just a bunch of British people who think they're, you know... Better Too clever by half. And honestly, Mike, dude, like, <laughs> uh, I would agree. Uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Uh, I do think that Terry Gilliam went through the Holy Grail and then watched Tommy and then made Brazil. You know, like, <laughs> yes, that feels I think very, all, all of the that angel ag- scenes and shit. Yeah. All of those references were so specific to you and who you are as a person. <laughs> Terry Gilliam, if you're listening. Uh, this is not in the official bracket. Is that bullshit? Do we think if this was in the bracket, it could win 1975 movie of the year? Renee? Nashville? No, this is Tommy. Oh. In a Ryan. year where Jaws came out. Didn't Jaws come out this year? And yeah. and Dog Day Afternoon? But, like I, okay, so is it bullshit? This is I can't even believe you're asking this question. So, this is how Bad we question. end it. Okay, the show's done. Next bonus show is the man who would be king. Until then, keep watching those movies.